Welcome back to another episode of You Are Just a Number podcast, a podcast regarding leadership, teamwork, and passion on all aspects of life. Today's episode is a little unique in that we are interviewing the leadership, teamwork, and passion of a business that has substantially decreased in the world over the last 25 years, but is still needed, and that's microfilm. Yes, microfilm. Believe it or not, it still exists and still required with land records, pharmaceutical companies, and libraries. John Grasso and I will talk about the need for this record management system. I believe you might be presently surprised that it is still needed and how much information still exists on microfilm. To learn more, visit our blog site, which is youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters youarejustanumber.com, all one word. I am Jim Zellum, your host and author of the book, Stepping Stones of Leadership. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today's uh, topic is quite unique because we're going to talk about something that's archaic, but really isn't archaic. It's microfilm. A lot of you people think it's gone, but I'm going to tell you something right now. It, it's very dominant in the world right now. And our speaker, uh, my guest today, John Grasso, he runs uh, eBeam Imaging, which is a part of a company called IDI. And so welcome aboard, John. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you. So, John, uh, just for a background a little bit, can you give a little uh, background about yourself, you know, how you got to where you are today? You know, I know that you got there through your dad because he actually the e-beam is your dad has a lot of patents on that. And so can you just give us a little background about yourself about that? Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, my my dad, my my mom, my family is a central figure in my upbringing. Um, you know, all my life I lived in Connecticut. And, um, you know, as I was growing up, my father built this business called Image Graphics uh, with two other partners. And my mom, because you always have to have a strong woman behind you. And uh, the, uh, the the company uh, converted digital images to film when you know no one else was able to do that. And the technology was used for really storage years ago because there were no real hard drive storage or things like that. So the 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 film uh, filled a void. So my background is. Uh, while I was working at Image Graphics uh, as a teenager, from everything, anything from the ground up, I painted walls, I cleaned things, I did, I did everything. But as I got older and went for my um, degree, I went to Iona College for a degree in accounting, and I also um, double majored, have a degree in finance. And as I was doing that, it was really nice to work at a small business because everything I learned was supplemented by the business. I learned how to do uh, receiving. I learned how to do shipping. I learned how to do purchasing. And I worked there in the summer and in, and in breaks, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, right out of getting my degree from my own college, my degrees from my own college, I moved on to get a master's in finance uh, from George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And I mentioned that because um, I was really targeting Wall Street is where I wanted to go when I got out of school. I, it was the 80s and um, you know I figured uh, that was gonna be a growing industry. That's where I was gonna go. And so when I was in Washington going for my master's, I still kept working at the company 
And one of the assignments I had was to go look at a new system, there's a new integrated accounting system that might be called ERP. So uh, I, I decided uh, to, to look into this business for my father. And I, I, I noticed that the, the company called Deltec, which was at the time about 20 people, is now a $200 million company. But they had the first ERP system available. So as I was coming out and getting my degree, you know, I, I thought about what I want to do and go on Wall Street. And I started being hesitant because I really enjoyed working at Image Graphics. I enjoyed thinking about implementing this new ERP system. And uh, my father said, hey, listen, before you commit to Wall Street, take the train, take the subway, go down there spend a few days down there, see if it's really what you're gonna like doing every day because it's a huge commitment. And I did. And then as I did that and I was taking the train back, I found, you know, I really like working at the small business. I liked working where I could see a difference. I liked the technology which we had, which was creating digital images to film. At the time we were working on satellite and aerial reconnaissance where we were able to put all of the film associated with satellite imagery, uh, we were recording it in the machines that we manufactured in a small business. And um, we were very proud of the work that we were doing. And I just found myself going into the business as opposed to going on Wall Street. And it, it, it was an interesting change in direction because I was targeting one thing, but my heart brought me to another. And uh, so the, I heart, what, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, and um, you know, so this digital film technology, and and Jim, you know this because you love it too. If you're in love with photography, it's really a miracle as you see it processed and everything. He just pulls you in. And we had what I believe is the best technology still from converting digital images to film. A lot of people didn't do it that way. They did it traditionally back then where they would take cameras and shoot the film. But, this, but the, the, the same purpose, microfilm had the same purpose, um, which was for preservation, which sometimes back then was for distribution. But the content was really important on microfilm. It is still today because it's organized. There's intelligence associated with it. And a lot of times it's content that no one else ever has the ability to capture. And Jim, you know that better than anybody because you, uh, you were an expert in this area, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and there was places, a lot. There were some places we went to that had to go on microfilm because when I went into the archives of Russia and Ukraine, you know, uh, the only way you can get that stuff out was on microfilm. You could, they did not know the digital world at the time. Okay, so John, you, you you talk about microfilm and you say, hey, it has a value in there. So from your standpoint, I mean, you're still converting quite a bit of uh, digital images to microfilm. And why do you do that? I mean, why, why, why is it that you still have customers doing that? I know why, but tell, tell our people why. Well, I'm going to come at it from a couple of different angles, but um, a lot about, it's always about the content. It's always about the value of the material that you're putting out the film. In the cases where we do a lot of digital film for land records, if you think about a land record it has to live forever. And in the United States, you have, not only do you have 50 different states that control land records, you have different counties that control land records. And here in Connecticut, you have different municipalities. So the only common thread between electronic systems is the film. 
the, the output that the film makes. And the film is the best records management piece that lives for 500 years. It's the only constant in the land records business. Year after year, large companies, everybody tries to say that the automated systems that they put in are gonna be there, but because I'm getting old in this job, year after year, new systems come in, new systems go out, the microphone stays the same. And the key is it's eye readable and you just can access it with a, a magnifying glass if you have to, but it's in today's world, a roll of microphone can be converted back to digital about 15 minutes where it can be fully, you know, PDF and everything else so that you can search a book. So it's a great medium. And you don't, you know, over the years, I've seen 14 inch, 12 inch, uh, five and a quarter inch optical discs. I've seen jazz drives. I've seen all these different media types. The best media type in my mind is still the spinning disc. Uh, and the, and the uh, USB drives, but they require power, they require refreshing, they require cost. Whereas the microfilm is put away, it's a physical security barrier. But even more important in today's world where people miss it, there's physical security associated with it. So you put it away and people can't touch it. You can't alter it and it's, it's available as a medium in court and it's acceptable in court. There's a lot of reasons for microfilm. It's a commonality. So I believe it in it now more than ever. I don't believe it as distribution, but I believe it for preservation and archival purposes. Right. I, I don't believe it's a great media for distribution anymore with, with the digital world. I, I, I get that. But yes, as far as that. And if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the resolution of microfilm is better than any digital camera has out here right now. Is that not a That's true statement? Correct. That's correct. It's always been correct. And we have the best equipment in the world to convert it. And I can tell you that the that's correct. The capture devices do not do not approach the quality of film, traditional film um, capture. I mean, just now we're seeing better and better, but we for a long time we weren't even close. <clears throat> So, but that's that's one market. Okay, so uh, let's talk. What other markets you you want to uh, discuss? Well, you want to talk about? Um, well, a lot of people do not know, and, and we'll bring it up in this podcast that the microfilm in this world that isn't being used that is being preserved is phenomenal. And I bet you probably 98% of our listeners don't know that because if you go to the uh, National Archives, okay. They have so many vaults in this world that save microfilm. And there's one vault in Pennsylvania, if I correct me if I'm wrong, that it's a frozen thing because there is a film out there called acetate film. And acetate film based in regular room temperature and humidity will start deteriorating. So to stop it, either you convert it back to a good microfilm and or you freeze it. So the National Archives understand these records are so important that they freeze it. Yes, that, that's correct. Uh, polyester uh, microfilm really did a lot to, to, to save the acetate, but that's true. With, also, it's true with uh, photographs and nitrates. So the, uh, the content here, again, the content is so important. And fortunately, 
people were able to conserve materials since the 1920s and beyond before that, that we have the pleasure of having today because they're a microfilm. But not only do we have them on microfilm, we have them organ organized on microfilm because microfilm today is still part of a records management system. And that I think is, is key because and that's why it's also admissible in court because there are targets and controls on each roll of microfilm that make that and affidavits that say that those documents belong to this person to this reason to, the, to, to this amount of time they're supposed to live. They're part of a system. And that's what people miss with the microphone. In today's cybersecurity world, my feeling is why does everything have to be online? You know, you have different records for people and clearances and things. Mine, my, my clearances and the people that I work with three years ago were compromised because they're online. I don't know why those are not kept offline and pass fail on the clearance. So to me, physical security is really important in the cyber world. Why do you take risks by putting more information out there that doesn't need to be out there? Right. You know, right. why are people's high school, high school records or their personal medical records available online if they're not necessary? Exactly. Exactly. So to me, to me, it's really where it fits. And I think it's, the library is something dear to your heart and mine. And I think it still fits in the library for a lot of reasons. But before we get to the library, though, okay. and we'll go back. We'll come back to the library. OK, I'm going to ask you a question about I, I know. OK, I hope we can say this in the dis this discussion. OK, that you still take electronic notebooks from big pharmaceutical companies, okay, that are microfilmed and put away so nobody can see those notes, but yet it's there. Is that not a true statement? Theoretically, yeah, that's a true statement. Yeah, and now, I know we- A lot of people take that approach, even more than farmers on, um, and that's a great, great point, Jim, because, um, there's piracy. There's a piracy in the pharmaceutical market. So, yes. and and these these places work very hard to develop these new medicines or whatever they do. And I know they have electronic. Uh, I mean, or they have uh, their notebooks. And I think a lot of them have to be written down because they don't want piracy. And to protect them, they for future reference in case they ever have to go back to court, they're on microfilm. Right. You know, guys like us probably don't write anything in an email that we wouldn't say to someone's face. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just the way we're built. Mm -hmm. Too many people are putting too much information out there that doesn't need to be out there. And that's, that's a, that's a key factor. That's really physical security is really important in today's world. Mm -hmm. And especially to farmers, especially the uh, and people with industrial uh, proprietary um, information. If you just look, uh, anything that's patented, all that information needs to be protected because as soon as it hits the free, free markets, it's copied. It's 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 you know it's it's copied uh, by many different countries, and so you know they don't look at our laws and and respect them, and that's right. that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, and then let, I'm going to switch gears again to you because we were talking about it. You take the American Kennel Society, uh, Club, okay, AKC. AKC 
spent thousands and thousands of dollars to convert bad film, acetate film, to polyester film because they promised their membership that they will keep their records forever on every dog, okay? So in order to do that, they knew they couldn't digitize everything because it doesn't get that much use, okay, uh, uh, for searching. But they knew they had to keep the records. And I, and I know because I was instrumental in helping them convert that acetate film to polyester. And, you know, just for you listeners out there, there, there's a lot, of, as before we go into the library industry, there's a lot of film out there that you probably don't know about that I was talking about with the National Archives with their vaults, but there's vaults in there, give you a prime example. There's a salt mine in Kansas that's a mile underground and they're, they're mining salt for the city of Chicago. And when you get down there, the vein is three miles away, okay, for them to mine salt. But down there, once they get it there, because the temperature and humidity is constant, they, they keep microfilm down there. And that one in Kansas City has all the red skeleton film, okay? Wow. Well, red, red skeleton won't let it out, okay? I guess he wrote it in such a way that it would never, you know, get out very easily. But yes, there's a lot, a lot of film in a lot of underground vaults that people don't know about, and they don't even know where the vaults are. So let's get back to the library thing, John. So uh, you were saying there that it's it's still viable in the uh, in the library industry. So uh, why don't you expand on that and tell me why you say so? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, the first reason is in the government, there's federal depository libraries that is based on the continuance of government, meaning that. Uh, things like the Federal Register, the CBD, all these things are published on a regular basis, government records. And the government, in to make sure that the continuation of government happens, they have they publish this microfilm and they distribute it to the Federal Depository Libraries. And they do that for a reason because several people have the same copy of the information. It's harder to knock that information out if they ever have to go back to it. So it's a physical asset and a physical program that these libraries have. Same thing with many collections of microfilm that are out there and that you actually, Jim, know more than anybody in this area because you did it for so many years. But there's only, if you look at certain newspaper titles, they're only available to libraries on microfilm associated with them or there are little or smaller newspapers and local companies, I mean, in local uh, cities, local towns that require their newspapers to be backed up and they're only available on film. So you might have, fortunately, these libraries were collecting film over the years. So they may have, say the uh, New York Times, the London Times, they may have these collections from the beginning of time, you know, 1900 on microfilm to present day. Where does it go from here? if they don't keep continue it those collections may not be continued if if they don't go farther and you know and funding is something that's very difficult for these local uh, municipalities if they miss a year they can always go back and buy microfilm and fill it in they go digital and miss a year they're nowhere so the physical asset is important to them it's important to their patrons important reason for them to come into the library 
the longevity of it is important. I think libraries, their role is changing in the digital age, but the content associated with microfilm and the media still exists. So, right, right. And, I, the, and, the, and the big picture, <clears throat> if you're a big, if you're a big library or a big publication, like let's just take the London Times. The London Times to this day is digitized and they have it. And I know who has the film from back from 1776 to present on microfilm, okay? And they digitized the whole collection. But yet to this day, they still have customers that get it in film, okay? Because you're, you're making it, right? That's correct. Yeah, so what's happening is in here. So if you're a big operation, and let's say you're the Chicago Library, the New York Public Library, uh, you're a big library, okay? Well, you can afford the digital uh, collection because it's a subscription and you have to pay for it every year. But for these small little organizations, all right, the only way they can sustain it for their customers is through, okay, film. All right. And if you go, and I'll give you a prime example in Wisconsin here. Uh, if you go to the archive downtown in here, because um, I know the people there, I mean, all the small, small cities um, around here, they actually send their papers to them and they film it. And the only way you're ever going to see that stuff is through microfilm. And if you're going to be doing research, even genealogy, okay, and you're going to want to know something, sometimes you got to go to those small newspapers and I'm, you know, and just because, uh, you know, you're in some genealogy group, okay, doesn't mean you're going to have access to all that stuff because they go for, they're going for the big pies in the sky. And a lot of times the information is in those small pies. Yeah, I agree with you. Um... You know, and this is where information is so important to be kept for years and microfilm is an economic way to do it. I, I agree with you. And I, I just think that libraries have to continue to work on the physical assets that they maintain because that's their advantage. That's their advantage. And what a lot of people don't know, Jim, is like you said in the beginning of this, so many things that are on film are not on the web. They're only, not only on film. And they're, not, and they're never going to be economic the model won't be there to maybe digitize and put them out there. Right. So it's really important to be in a hybrid mode for a long time. Exactly. And, you know, going along those lines, you know, you have that. A lot of people, I know the world today is digital and I got to Google it and it better pop up. Okay. I mean, I know my grandkids. Okay. They have no idea. I don't even know if they know what the inside of a library looks like. Okay. They think the inside of a library is my screen on Google. Okay. So, but, and, and that's good because everybody wants information now. I guess what the information we're talking about is the, when you want information, there's two types of information. There's information that's, you know, pretty wide, not that deep of, of, detail but if once you start narrowing down that search and you want to go into depth you're going to have to go to a library okay uh phd people do that uh i know for a fact we went over there and we filmed archives in ukraine and in russia okay and the purpose of that was so when somebody went for a phd it would take their search from six months to three months when they were over there they would still have to go over there 
But what we were doing was we were giving them some of the information that the archives would let us have. So it would cut down. So if you're going to go for information deep, you're going to go back to microfilm. You know, you know, Jim, I want to go to something that I think you said that's really, really important, and it's the Google search. And we saw how Google can direct you off this past year. There were a lot of articles how Google could direct you to where you were looking, move you off your target. Here's the great thing about film. It's organized by year. If you're looking and thumbing through information, is nothing like getting all of the collateral things that you're researching. Or, you know, you may be researching a specific uh, topic, but you may now want to know what gas costs at that price, what the eggs cost, what was the advertising, what were the companies associated. Well, you get that because you're looking at in microfilm and just in the newspaper area, you are looking in a whole area that's concentrating on that. It's been organized. It's a different type of search. Yeah, it's, nobody wants to necessarily go to the microfilm reader, but the way that content, the information on that content is critical to you to look. And I've always, I've always felt that way, even in the manuscript collections and things that you do, you know, the buildup, the material you're looking for is not necessarily going to show up on a Google search, but as you're moving through looking at it, you may find it. So um, I think the key is with the film, it'd be nice to allow the local library to have access to a digital copy, their copy being physical asset, but having a digital copy of that physical asset. But they also have, you know, so they also have, John, though, the um, the catalog card per se. Yeah. All these all these collections are cataloged, okay? But yeah. when you're looking for a very specific picture, it could be difficult. But the content of the microfilm is cataloged, and they're, they're and they're digitizing those catalog cards, so you can go back in there and saying, hey, you know, I want to see real twenty thirty two of this collection okay so now you know exactly where you're looking for so it's not like you're hunting for a needle in a haystack okay? no and i want to tell you jimmy you're 100 percent right there you know the the other thing that's so valuable like the catalog or the one in the same is the guide and when your old company the guides had so much information in it to to point you to the the physical source document but the guide had tremendous amount of it just in itself Right, right. And, you know, using that digitized with the film hand in hand, you know, there's a lot of research you can get out of that. Right. And we're not we're not seeing enough of it. Right. So let's go. Let, let's stay in the library arena because I, I want to bring something up in here. OK, yes, there's a lot of things that are digitized and they should be digitized. OK, I'm not questioning that books should be digitized. I'm not saying newspapers shouldn't be digitized. OK, whether the book is a serial or a monograph, I don't really care. OK, because it's a book and, you know, they've come out with new uh, equipment. Well, it's been out for some time that they can flip the pages automatically and not damage the book. So therefore we can get it out to, to the people. And Google had a big project doing that. And some other companies had a big project doing that. And, and I know for a fact that, you know, your parent company, the, who you, I mean, who you work for IDI, they do that for a publishing company. So that's great news. However, things that aren't, that can't be digitized, but doesn't really make a lot of sense right now is like manuscripts. Okay. Because 
you can't leave some of these manuscripts are handwritten okay and a lot of these things are very difficult to digitize and there's no um what we call OCR to translate those words, okay? And there's some real old, old collections out there that you that you want to see, um, like I said, with manuscripts or pictures or whatever, okay, um, that are very difficult to digitize. I don't even know that there's a um, there's a newspaper out there that I know that was published on microfilm, but I don't think they ever digitized it. it was EEN, Early English Newspapers, okay? Because I don't think it lends itself, okay, to digitization, okay? So if you really want to see some of this stuff, you have to go back to microfilm, okay? So, and I want to talk about something else in here when you go to some libraries, okay? First of all, I, I want to say I've been to the British Library a few times, and they have a place in there that's heavily locked up. You can't get to the books, okay? Because they're brittle. A lot of these books are brittle, and you can't do anything with them. Well, you can digitize them, but if you digitize them, you're going to have to bring them back to film because film is going to keep them safe in there, or you need to film them. But here's the, here's the story I want to tell you. You can't get to these books because they're rare books, but they're brittle. So the, so the public cannot view them or touch them, okay? So if you can't view them or touch them, okay, and you can't microfilm them or scan them, as far as I'm concerned, they're useless books because nobody can get to them. What do you think, yeah, John? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's that, that's. 100% right. If you don't know, it's like a kid with a lot of toys in, the, in a toy box that can't see what they're looking for. You can't, you, you can't, you can't get to what you need because right. it's got limits. I, I agree with that. Yeah, and, so, you know, you bring up something that's really important, which is very blurred in today's digital world. People don't go to source documents. They go to opinions that other people have about a a, a concept or a thought, but nobody goes back to a source document. Source documents of, you know, where you're, to me, they're true. You know, it may not agree with the article that was written in 1928, but it is the article that was written in 1928. It's not someone's opinion in a history book. It's a source document. And that's right. what you find mostly on microfilm. That's why I like to call it tried, true, and trusted. I always, one of my favorite stories, I love to tell people because I know we had, um, every London Times down to 1776. So I said, so if you really want to know the true story of about Jack the Ripper, you need to read the newspaper because you're going to say, well, they should have done this. They should have done this. Well, if you read the newspaper from the oldest to the newest about Jack the Ripper, you'll find out the leads they were following and they couldn't put the puzzle piece together. Okay. So yeah, hindsight's 2020. But when you, you start, when you want the true story of Jack the Ripper, read the paper from the beginning to the end and you'll find out, well, that's how they figured it out. Yeah. That's so. the only way you could take the politics and opinions out of it is by reading over a period of time, what happened in those, because that, that, that's, that's real research. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I just want to let the people, you know, the listeners know, Oh, one other question, John, do they still, uh, um, they still convert the, uh, the government still converts the census to microfilm every time it comes out, right? You know, I believe that they do. Uh, NARA, NARA has an old, 
this is kind of interesting. NARA has an all digital initiative that's supposed to kick in, I think next year, but there's no possible way that they can handle the digital information at once. And they have some high standards on the digitization called FAGI and other things. And I just, you know, the cost of doing it digitally is gonna be so much more expensive than writing a roll of microfilm, putting it in a box and, and storing it for 500 years. If, you know, most of that information that goes into the archives is not accessed. So the, the issue has always been access. You know, microfilm is great for preservation. Um, and you know it's there, you know it's locked up and guess what, there's no cyber threats. And a lot of this government information shouldn't be digitized and moved out into the public domain. If it's got people's social security, you're talking about census material, you're talking about, you know, Title 19. So- Right. And if you go to NARA, if you go to NARA, um, and for you people that don't know what NARA is, NARA is the, Go ahead. I know it's record National Archives of Records Administration. National Archives of Records Administration. And if you still go there to this day, and the one I went to was in D.C. Well, it wasn't really in D.C. Was it? It was University of Maryland Archives too. Yeah, yeah. It was, and um, you constantly to this day, I believe, even though their 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 go goal is to go digital, they still have companies that go in there and still film the records. And if you go to the Library of Congress, okay, a lot of those things in there. And here's the funny part with the, that people might find interesting. Um, for a publishing company to go into the, let's just say the Library of Congress, or they go to the New York Public Library, or whatever library they're going to go to, University of Minnesota, Columbia. But the amazing thing is, they go in there and they want the digital rights, okay? So they get the digital rights to publish them. But the amazing thing, all these universities want something in return besides the, you know, uh, the cost or, or their, their, their royalty rights. They all want a copy of the digital images on microfilm. Isn't that an interesting topic? Okay. Yes. Okay. How many of those did you have to take digital images from? Okay. Send gauge learning and burn them back to microfilm because they had to go back to the universities that oh, way. Well, Jim, that, 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 that you pioneered because your thought was, if we go, we're gonna deliver a film, but we might need the digital image. So you started scanning before other people and, and we would be uh, filming on the back end. But I agree with you. Yeah, a lot of people do. And I, I still think today it's relevant for libraries to have that asset. They're protecting the asset and there's no better protection of physical asset than microfilm. You know, you could say paper and I won't disagree with you that paper is also important, but the problem is it's the footprint. You know, microfilm is many times smaller than paper so you can store so much more and real estate's a big deal in these days. It's also more transportable in that regard. I mean, I think, you know, I really think libraries need to think understand their role in today's world, in today's digital world, is to protect the, they have to protect books, they have to protect film, they have to protect the other mediums. Right, and I, I think it comes down to, and I just want to say, you know, with microfilm, I, I think, you know, it all everything was microfilm and the pendulum swang to digital, okay, which is great, but, now the, the, but, the, but the pendulum has to come back a little bit because it's just like, uh, 
the car. You can't go all electric. Okay, so they, they've made these hybrid cars, a little bit of both. And I think you need that hybrid model with information, how you keep it digitally and microphone. Okay, because each one of them has its pros and cons. It's just like the car, gas, you know, yeah, cost gas and everything like that. But if I have a pure electric car, I guarantee you I can't drive from Wisconsin straight to Connecticut because I'm going to have to, after 10 hours, park that car to get it charged. Okay? Yeah, I'm not going to get there too quickly. So and you're not going to get there too quickly. So there's pros and cons. Okay, so they come back with a hybrid model. So, John, along these lines in here, um, tell, do you have any... Uh, stories that you can share you know uh with our listeners about you know uh microfilm or your digital world or what you, what what's happening there yeah you get to my age you have a lot of stories <laughs> <laughs> but but uh you know you know uh what i what what i've noticed over time is that current events affect the markets the way people think. Um, you know, if you go back to 9-11, I was supporting a, um, a company that published uh, construction re bid reports, a very large company that, and we had equipment that made microfilm during that, that time period where people would get the film, they go to a plan room, they get together and they say, oh, you know what? This is a construction job. You take the plumbing, I'll take the electrical. They're all based on film that you can measure, film, film that we would send out every uh, every time a bid went out. You know, every every couple of weeks, bids would go out and everything else. 9-11 happened and the mail got shut down. And so what happened to microfilm in that regard is they weren't able to get the bid documents out. Also checking... Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but in 9-11, back then, all the checking was done um, via microfilm. Things were were um, shipped via airplanes to to, uh, to central banks, and uh, the microfilm was looked at so that checks could be cleared. So Check 21, uh, in my world, this construction bid company, everybody went away from microfilm during that time because it really was not the best distribution me mechanism. But what happened is we were left with things that were not perfect and not, there were voids from the microfilm. What happened with the construction company is they, this was a huge publication. They had several hundred clients. Everybody went digital. And within a year or two, they all gave up the product because they didn't have the, they didn't, have a place to come together to bid on things. It went away. Check 21, well, everything went electronic in the banking things, but for a while, you know, your record keeping and electronic, what, what happened is the banks were unchecked and they went wild with fees and different things that they could charge you. So there's a lot of times some events happen. Recently, we had the pandemic where people can't get to information. So, you know, we always have to think about hybrid solutions, the best of both worlds. And that's why it'd be really nice if libraries were able to keep an electronic copy of the microfilm that they have and only keep it in the library because that would keep your copyright pure. It would keep, and people would be able to get to the information they need to see if they, you know, so I, I think that that's some interesting things that are going on. There was also a time 
where the company that I worked for. Well, I think what we can say is during the tsunami, okay, there, they needed information. And the yeah. only way they got that information was from the microfilm converted back, okay? If it wasn't for microfilm, the day would not have been saved, okay? So microfilm saved the day without giving you the details of the problem because it could still be, for lack of better words, classified. Right, right. And there are a lot of stories like that. Yeah, yeah, there are. There are. And you know, one more thing before the libraries in here. For libraries, for, for universities, for Wisconsin University, Ohio State University, Duke, North Carolina, you name the college, Columbia, in order for them to say they got accredited uh, classes, they have to hold so many assets, okay? And they need the physical asset. And that was a big problem in the digital world because what was happening is they were signing up to digital rights, which didn't give them the physical asset. So to beat that, what they did was they gave them the whole uh, electronic file on there on tape, tape, okay. Uh, okay, because now they have the assets so they can say, yes, we do have that collection on file. Okay, uh, so it, it increased their value. Okay, where microfilm automatically does that. And to this day, because I'll, I won't name any collection, but I know these collections I mi are migrating every year. Okay. Uh, the, the software. Okay, everything they've done, how they deliver it. Okay. Um, so if, if you do that, okay, and, and if you have to restore that asset, uh, they ain't going to do it from the tape. We, I know that. And I think that the companies that gave them the tape, know they can't do that without any special help. So the microfilm does help. You know what, so Jim? I'm oh, just sorry. You, you just, something I wanted to mention is that photographic remastering of the one thing that uh, is interesting when you look at uh, photographs aren't really printed out. We've been doing a lot of photograph work. It's uh, it's a shame. It's the same type of thing. They go digital, and then they get lost. You know, they are they on on a site where you're holding them, and you know you lose you lose a lot of information when you don't print it out. Right. I didn't mention it before, but it's really important for the validity of information for it to be printed out. It's part of the legality of it. Because in the digital world, everything is evolving. So you, you have to need, you need to stop and print for it to be a legal record in a lot of cases. And that's where, where microfilm comes in. It's a, it could be the, the, the legal record that you're looking for. And that's why I think it would be real important for NARA to go back to keeping film uh, uh, you know, as, as a primary um, storage as well as digital. Because again, not everything needs to be online. And uh, some of the things too, even in court, they they they're scared of uh, digital records because they can be manipulated. Okay, they can be, for lack of better words, photoshopped. Okay, where when you have microfilm, it is what it is, and if you can prove the year of the microfilm, okay, you know what? It's you can't tamper with it if you print it directly from the microfilm. So this, a lot of the courts do like the stuff coming from microfilms when when it gets into those situations. Yes, I agree. All right, so let's talk a little bit about. Uh, the reason why, again, I, I wanted the people to understand more about microfilm. Microfilm does still play a role in there. Has it subsided from 
30 years ago or even 20 years ago? Yes, it has. Okay. But, but it's still important and you still are a leader in it, um, in the microfilm uh, with you and what you and Marty are doing. Okay. But let's just talk about some of your leadership skills. Okay. In the shop, you have a small, you have a small shop, but uh, I know your, your staff looks highly on there. Can you give us any talk about how with your leadership and the, more importantly, the teamwork, the camaraderie of your team, because I know you have a good team. Thank you. That's, that's a great compliment. I appreciate that. And I do feel I do have a great team. We, 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 I always say we're the little engine that had to, not that could, we had to, to get to, to keep moving in business. I work with a lot of engineers and Jim, you know this because you're an engineer. And so I like the Steve Jobs philosophy that I don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. I like them to tell me what to do. I like them to solve problems. And I know that I'm not the smartest guy at the table sometimes, especially on certain topics. But I'm the guy who has to bring it all together. So the key component I always have is listening and empowering people to, to do the job, to take responsibility for it, to guide them, to get them the resources, to remove the barriers. That's my role. And I love it because my guys are creative and I try to tap into their creative mind. I don't worry about the last hour spent, the last half hour. The time. And you know this about me, Jim, which is different. I'm very untraditional. But I have guys that uh, have, you have to look, uh, people, you have to look into how bright they are and how they can best use things. A lot of times I had to learn that I wanted to shut things down quickly sometimes, but I learned over the years, especially watching my father and stuff, you have to let people manage and do their job. And what I found out is I like to spend the extra for the professional, for the person that knows their role. And every role in the company is important, every single role. Top to bottom, every person needs to be respected. Every part, every person is a cog in the wheel. And um, Jim, you you know we're we're alike. We're sports guys, we're team guys, you know. And I'm all about that. And I don't like people that are not guided that way. I don't. I often wonder how quickly I'd be fired from a larger company because I don't like politics. No is a good answer for me. <laughs> no is a real good answer to me and I don't know is my favorite answer because that means that I'm not alone I'm not knowing what the solution is so you know it's uh I, I like to look at things like that and I do like to look at other people how they're successful in running their stuff and um you know there's a there's there's a lot of management styles and, you know I, I enjoy I always enjoyed yours you 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 know you were, your background was a rep you were always fair direct, strong in your decisions. I like that. You know, Marty is flexible, fast. You know, he's very fast on his feet, not afraid to move. I like the way he manages. You know, I, I, I watch, I try to watch in their styles. I learned a lot from my father who came from a very creative research lab. So they were, you know, they were in jeans and, and everything goes way before Apple. You know, he came from CBS Laboratories. And I thought that was a, probably the greatest place you could ever work. I went there when I was a kid, I would run around and say, this is like a big, it, but they, they achieved things other people couldn't achieve because they allowed those type of things to happen. 
Right. Now, when it comes to production, that's a different mindset. You know, and I also know production people, they typically approach things different than engineering. And they like things the right way. I can go that way too. I like efficiency. I like getting things out. And I don't so, like- so you, so you adapt to the situation. Yeah, yeah. And I also adapt, I believe that if the person has to be happy, they have to want to do the job. And there's nothing I can do to motivate them. If they're not there, they're not for me and I'm not for them. You know? excellent, excellent point about motivation. That is true. You know, I heard, uh, I, I got to tell you this one, you might like this one. I, I know this lady, she, when her son was young, she tried to motivate him because he just wasn't doing anything. Okay. And she read books on motivation, this, that, and the other thing. Right. And she could never motivate him. And one day, I guess when she was making breakfast or something like that, he comes into the kitchen and they were talking. He says, you know, ma, you know what the problem is? You want more for me than I want for myself. <laughs> that right there said, well, I can't motivate him. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have a friend, a dear friend of mine that had some dependency issues and he, he lectures now because he was able to say, no matter what I can say, until you make that decision to correct yourself, nothing I say is going to hit it. My job is to put it in there so you can say, oh, maybe I'll come back and talk to you when I'm ready. Yeah. But I, you know, unless you're ready, you're going nowhere. Exactly. And exactly. I always, you know, and that's the other thing too. You can learn in any moment. Oh, without a doubt, you know, and I, I do one thing I have to say, I, I do like your style because you, you uh, picked up some of your stuff. Like for me, you watched your father. Okay. You, you, you saw, let's just say you saw what I did, what you liked, what you didn't like. You saw what Marty, what you did, what you didn't like. And you learned from the experiences of others and you adapted your own style which is great, okay? And more people have to be willing to tap that experience of others. Well, I like the way you managed me because the way you managed me was you say, you have to understand this has to happen and this is why. So yeah. in that, that vein, that's all I need to know because I always need to know why. Yeah. That's just my mind. You know, you could, and I'm not one that, that, you know, an emergency means to me somebody's in the emergency room. You know, so if you're not working at that pace at, at a constant strong pace every day, that's another thing that you know I don't see how you're successful in today's world. Yeah. Well, I I always like you said I always wanted to give you the why. You know, it has that to helps. happen, but but it wasn't because it's just me. Okay, it was the schedule. It was how it was affecting the overall picture of this publishing company. Okay. Uh, how it was affecting their revenue and you know money talks okay so i had to give you the whys okay because without the whys you, you could be just yeah he's just talking okay so i i always like to give people the whys you know i work with one of your colleagues that i really really like a lot and uh because of your background that you gave me in that area i know when the customer wants to hit these revenue pieces why when I think Marty does too, but we want to, we, we have the same objective, right? And that's, what's great because, you know, in a small business, cash is king, cash flow is king. So you want to make sure your customers are hitting their, their notes so that they, they flow to us. Exactly. Exactly. So John, what is your, uh, what, what's your future look like? Future is real interesting. Um, you know, IDI has so many full services. 
that that we can really we can cook we can start from digital images capturing them anyway uh, whether they're they're uh, books they're films uh, then we can write them back out to film we can scan film we have a lot of tools in our toolkit so really we're look, trying to find out how we can best help our customers how we can most efficiently keep prices strong so that they can do more content we're trying to learn more and more about how we can help them and it's I'm, it's a very i i've never been in a position as i am now where i have so many different tools that we can offer to solve the problem and as you know i love to solve problems oh yes you do yes you do you, know? you, I, you I, have you help solve a lot of my problems in fact you're the you're the person that introduced me to Marty that was really a life savior for the pub publishing company. And they use him there quite a bit to this day. You know what? I, I stand by this one. I, I wasn't a part of this company and I'll stand right now. Nobody could get stuff out like them. And it's because he doesn't spare the resources. He makes sure the customer's happy at any expense because he sees the big picture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's important. I think that the big picture is really important. And I think that's what you always portray. Here's the big picture. Here's how we have to solve it. Yeah. So you, and I think that gives people motivation. Well, I think yeah. Marty, I think Marty has a great motto, and I, I, um, I look at it this way, okay? Because one thing I learned back in my going back a little bit in my college days, even though it was at night school, I'll never forget this guy came up with a uh, comment, and he says, um, "What's the main purpose of any company?" And of course, the class blurted out money, okay? And I was pretty much there, revenue and everything like that. And he said, no, okay? The number one purpose of any company is to make customers. If you make customers, you can make money. You might have to change your process a little bit, but you, if you make customers, you'll make money. And I actually truly believe indirectly that's uh, Marty's motto because oh, yeah. he's, he's always about the customer. He's always about because so, so are you. So are you. Though. I tried to be, you know, my father was too. I mean, you know what I've got to say? We did so much government work. And I loved them. I love working for the military. My favorite people. I love the people. I love veterans that come in and work for us. I loved working for, for them. We all, you know, it was just a great time. People were on the same team and the BS was kept to a minimum. Yep. Because they had a mission. And I love being on that mission with them. Right. Right. So, John, if you were to give our audience any advice, what would it be? Well, we don't judge book by its cover, so don't uh, judge the content by the media. There's tremendous content on microfilm. I think that uh, keep looking, keep searching, keep reaching for that content, and you'll be pleasantly surprised. There's a lot of it on microfilm. That, that's really an excellent piece of advice, John. So, hey, I, I want to thank you a lot for being a guest on my podcast, and I wish you luck. Uh, anytime, my friend. Well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast with John. John's leadership style with engineers is quite interesting. He definitely knows their value. As he said, he didn't hire them for him to tell them what to do, but for them to tell him what to do. He removes the barriers for them. What a team concept. 
also realizes leading the production team requires a different approach. He adapts to the situation. We are always looking for unique and interesting stories to share with our listeners. Sharing your experiences just might either help or inspire others. So if you have something you would like to share, please contact me at youarejustanumber.com. That's the letters youarejustanumber.com. All one word. Until next time, have a great day.